Alrighty. Let's get into it this morning. Uh, not everyone will be familiar with Advent, and not everyone, well, everyone will be familiar with Narnia and the Silver Chair. You all would have read that in the last two weeks, so that's awesome. No, I know that that's not true. I know that not everyone's familiar with Advent, and I know that not everyone is familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, maybe the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but not necessarily the other stories. And maybe if you were to pick one of the other stories, maybe um, the Silver Chair is kind of one of the least known stories. So I, I will, this one I do need to give a little bit of an introduction to Advent, a little bit of an introduction to the Silver Chair, then we'll talk about some things. But that'll set me up for the next three where I don't have to give introduction to those things and we can just kind of go for it. Uh, Advent is the moment before the moment. Advent's not the moment, it's the moment that comes before the moment. Uh, Christmas is the moment. The incarnation of Christ, the coming of God into the world in flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, so Advent's not Christmas. Even though on the first Sunday of Advent, you might have noticed we do one Christmas carol. There's a little pattern here. On the second Sunday of Advent, we'll do two Christmas carols. <laughs> on the third, we'll do three. And then on the fourth, we do four. So there you go. That just kind of, and then at Christmas Eve service, we only do carols. But um, that's just kind of the, the lead in there. So for those of you that we started with Joy to the World, and you're like, oh, here we go. It's like, no, we're just easing into it because we're in Advent. It's the moment before the moment. It's not the moment. It's the moment before the moment. And this is the start of the liturgical year. This is the start of the Christian calendar. This is the start of how Christians orientate their lives around time itself, in line, in step with the story of Jesus. And it doesn't start with the birth. It starts with there's a birth on the horizon. History is pregnant with possibilities. The newness of God is breaking forth, but just not quite yet. So it's the season of waiting, the season of excitement, the season of anticipation. That the newness of God is coming, though it's not quite here yet. It's not instant. It's not on our preferred timeline. Uh, our preferred timeline, I was talking to my nephew this morning, Hudson, saying, shall we make today Christmas and open the presents? And he said, yes, we should. And then his, uh, his mum said, Joseph, can you not do that? So anyway, but that's right. Uh, my brother gave my kids Coke when they were little. So there you go. I've, I've still got a lot of, a lot of things to make up. Like, like, you know, like 18-month-year-olds. Have a Coke. Dad's not here. Couldn't get them to sleep that night. Uh, mostly, though, he'd just wake them up once they were asleep. Come around. Oh, where's Romeo? He's fast asleep. Oh, okay. Can I get him? No. No, you can't. All right, I'll just go to the loo. Oh, I poked my head in the room. He was awake. It's like, oh, leaves and you're still up at 10 trying to get a two-year-old to sleep. Uh, but anyway, it's the moment before the moment. There's this, there's this anticipation. We've got to learn to wait. We've got to learn to be patient. Uh, we wait, though, not in despair. We don't wait in a, with a sense of hopelessness. We wait with great hope and great excitement and great anticipation. But just like the pregnancy of a, of a baby, you've got to wait about nine months, give or take. Like, you can't hurry it up. You can't speed along. It's not instant. And we, we know with God, we, we, we trust that God is faithful, that in the fullness of time, the newness of God will break forth. But we have to wait. So we don't wait with despair. We wait with patient hope and anticipation. Christ is Coming, we allow our, in Advent, we choose to lift our eyes, to allow our hearts to be stirred, to cultivate faith, to believe in the goodness of God on the horizon. It's actually a way of being in life that we're trained to do in Advent. For those other moments of life that feel hopeless, we go, no, no, I've, I've learned in Advent to wait patiently for the goodness of God, for the newness of God to break forth. It doesn't feel like it's coming, but I'm going to adopt an Advent spirit. 
I'm going to adopt an Advent perspective, even in the midst of this heartache or this waiting or this grief or this anxiety. I'm going to choose to lift my eyes and be hopeful and to trust. Like in the same way we practice in Lent, to fast and to repent and to realize that there's seasons where we are more somber. Advent is like that. Uh, Psalm 27, verse 13 to 14. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. In essence, I could give you that just that as the Advent sermon for the next four weeks this year. You, you could just take this for, for this year. What, what, what is the, the message this year? I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. And wait for the Lord. Advent is an invitation to adopt that perspective. And uh, for the last few years, we've been working our way through the Chronicles of Narnia. And uh, Lewis, uh, C.S. Lewis writes Narnia. It's set in a magical land. And allegorical kind of um, picture of the Christian life, Christian discipleship, the wonder of God, the goodness of Christ in Aslan. There's, there's all sorts of typography and allegory that are in those stories that we kind of pick up on in our story. Our Narnia lamp that we have year round comes to its own on Advent. You just add a couple of Christmas trees in a wardrobe and be like, hey, but most people kind of get it anyway. But it's a reminder that Christ is the light of the world. It's a reminder of the mystery, the welcome, the love, the wonder of God's kingdom, where everything is bigger on the inside than it appears on the outside. That's one of the themes of Narnia. It's bigger on the inside than it appears on the outside. You go through this wardrobe that is small and it opens up to this big world. In the last battle, there's a, there's a stable. And what's happening in the stable is bigger on the inside than it appears on the outside. There's a stable in the Christmas story. What's happening in the stable is this for Caleb. What's happening in the stable is bigger on the inside than it appears from the outside. That's the kingdom of God. That's the invitation of the kingdom of God. Uh, Lucy in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, upon seeing the Narnia lamp, she explains, It will not go out of my mind that if we pass this post and lantern, we will find strange adventures. Strange adventures as we walk with Christ in the land beyond the wardrobe. What's the land beyond the wardrobe? The land beyond the obvious. We live in the land beyond the obvious, but too often we're consumed only with the obvious. We fail to see that there's mystery and wonder and beauty and delight in the here and now of this life if we've got eyes to see it. A kingdom unfolding on earth as it is in heaven. All right. This year, though, that's Advent. This year, though, we're in the silver chair. So which is a strange and gloomy story of lunacy and forgetfulness that kind of plods along slowly. Discipleship in the mists of confusion. Discipleship in the mists of confusion. It actually feels like the right chronicle of Narnia for this year, for this season, uh, for the second year of pandemic with a third year ahead of us. It's discipleship in the mists of confusion. One of the genius things that C.S. Lewis does in his books is that behind each of the books sits a medieval perspective on the cosmology of the planets. Uh, Lewis is, a, is an English scholar uh, in the olden days. They're not really the olden days, in the 19th, 20th century. But he's got a deep understanding of 15th century medieval worldview and the way that the, the understanding of the planets was that each planet had a personality and each planet had an ideology or an idea embedded within it, characteristics. And, and each, of the, um, each of the Chronicles of Narnia reflects the perspective of one of those planets. He doesn't write it obviously, it's kind of layered and veiled and once you see it you can't unsee it, but he, but he embeds that in each of the stories. 
Uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the, the planet is Jupiter, and Jupiter is the planet of kingship and joy, joyous overcoming. J- Jupiter is the jovial one. And we see these things right throughout the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, uh, winter is being overcome. Uh, Tolkien didn't like it that Lewis had Father Christmas in Narnia. Like, you, you make up a land, a magical fairy tale land, in another world, and you put Father Christmas in that world, that's the crazy. Tolkien didn't like that. But Lewis, Lewis is like, no, because St. Nick or Father Christmas represents this jovial spirit, this winter being undone. Because one of the problems is that it's always, in Northern Hemisphere, it's always winter, but never Christmas. And, and, and the, the line, the witch in the wardrobe, is the story of that being undone. Uh, the true king taking over. Voyage of the Doin Treader last year is the sun, the planet of light, of goodness, of... Uh, of truth and illumination. The whole of the voyage of the Dawn is a journey towards the east, a journey towards the rising sun. I mean, the title kind of gives away. It's the voyage of the Dawn Treader. What's dawn is the sunrise, and, and they're forever heading east. And uh, Reaper Chief, one of the, the well, one of the main characters, this mouse that's determined to discover the world of Aslan, uh, he talks about they're heading towards the utter east. He'll sink with his nose to the sunrise if it's the last thing he does. This is what Reaper Chief says. He'll sink with his nose to the sunrise if it's the last thing he does. And then there's all sorts of other things. Uh, Apollo, the sun god, is the mouse ch- chaser. So there's some, there's some stuff happening there, the mouse catcher. And then there's the, uh, the lake with the, that everything that turns to gold in it and these kinds of things. So there's all this imagery. The silver chair, though, not Jupiter and not the sun. The silver chair is the moon. Symbol of ambiguity. Moonlight. Moonlight is the false light or the artificial light or the alternative light. It's not the light of the sun. It's the, the second light, the dimmer light, the light of the moon. Uh, moonlight, the light of idle nonsense. It's the watery planet, the planet that is elusive or inconsistent or untrustworthy. Why is the moon inconsistent and elusive and untrustworthy? Because if you watch the moon, it changes all the time. It's never, it was a circle, but now it's not a circle. I checked for a few days. Now it's, there's like half of it's gone. You know, so if you, you know, if you live in the 14th century and you're looking at the planets, you're like, that moon is not trustworthy. Like, sometimes it's big. Sometimes it's just a slither. Sometimes the light is blight, uh, bright. Sometimes it's dim and dark. And uh, the loon, we have this idea of lunacy, this idea of craziness. And, and the, the, the silver chair is full of this kind of stuff happening. Uh, inconsistent size and shape and color disappears promises so much one day delivers so little so we've got lunacy and madness and false light and the whole of the silver chair is darkness and swampy and deceptive and drench, drench, drenching and drizzling and dewy, dewy effects throughout kind of thing. this puddle glummy is a marsh wiggle that lives in a marsh the whole the whole feel of the book is this is crazy and lunatic and just swampy and wet and what is going on well, that's the influence of the moon behind the story discipleship in the mists of confusion now one of the central uh, characters is this guy Puddleglum like I said Puddleglum's a marsh wiggle he's got kind of webbed feet and webbed hands and smokes a pipe and fishes and lives in a swamp and in, in a wigwam and uh, he's a gloomy kind of character and we'll pick up on, on uh, we'll do Puddle Glum on Joy we'll, you know we'll tie Puddle Glum and Joy together in a couple of Sundays time but uh, some of the things offering Eustace and Jill a place to sleep he says there you are best we can do uh, you'll lie cold and hard damp too 
I shouldn't wonder. Won't sleep a wink, most likely, even if there isn't a thunderstorm or a flood or the wigwam doesn't fall down on top of that, top of us, or which I've known it to do. And he's just forever gloomy and negative, uh, trapped underground. And you must always remember there's one good thing about being trapped down here. It'll save on funeral expenses. So this is, this is Puddle Bum, and he's forever negative, forever gloomy. He makes eel stew at one stage. Oh, you can't eat it. It'll be full of worms and make you sick. And the kids are like, this is the most delicious stew I've, I've ever had. He's like, oh, no wonder you're just deceived kind of thing. He's, just, he's negative and gloomy. And the whole book feels like that a little bit. Here's a little summary of the story. Uh, Eustace. Remember Eustace? Useless Eustace from the Voyage of the Doin' Treader last week. Uh, last advent feels like last week last advent who put on the golden uh, bracelet and turned into a dragon we're all complaining about how useless Eustace is well by the time we get to the silver chair he's grown and developed his time in Narnia has actually turned him into a, a steadfast kind of character Eustace Scrub having grown and matured from his previous time in Narnia returns he and a girl Jill embark on a quest to save Prince Rillian Son of Caspian, who suffers under the curse of the Emerald Witch and has been held captive for ten years with the aid of an enchanted chair. Eustace and Jill, along with the melancholy character Puddleglum, are sent by Aslan to find Rillian and bring him back to Narnia. Aslan gives the adventurers four signs which they are to remember and obey. The signs are soon forgotten, unfortunately, and the children are beset with many additional dangers as a result. Here's Aslan explaining the signs to the story, uh, the signs to Jill early in the story. Let me read from the silver chair. Please, what task, sir, said Jill. And I don't have um, Liam Neeson's voice, unfortunately. Please, what task, sir, said Jill. The task for which I called you and, and, and him here out of your own world. This puzzled Jill very much. It's, it's mistaking me for someone else, she thought. She didn't dare to tell the lion this. Though she felt things would get into a dreadful muddle unless she didn't. Speak your thought, human child, said the lion. I was wondering, I mean, could there be some mistake? Because nobody called me in Scrub, you know. It was he who asked to come here. Scrub said we were to call to, to somebody. It was a name I wouldn't know. It was Aslan, they were calling out to Aslan. And perhaps that somebody would let us in. And we did, and then we found the door open. There's a door in a, in a wall that was never open. That's the concrete door you came through. They had this door in their school that was never open. But they tried the door, and magic, magically it was open, and they, they entered into Aslan's land. Um, we found the door would open. Aslan says, you would not have called to me unless I had been calling you. You would not have called to me unless I had been calling you. There's another little advent thing. We wait with anticipation because Christmas is coming, Christ is coming, but we wait because Christ has always been waiting for us, calling us. Then you are somebody, sir, said Jill. I am, and now hear your task. Far from here in the land of Narnia, there lives an, they're, in, they're in Aslan's land, not Narnia. They're in, you, could say they're in, you could say they're in heaven, in the, the realm of heaven as opposed to Narnia, and he's going to send them from the realm of heaven to Narnia. And now hear your task. Far from here in the land of Narnia, there lives an aged king who is sad because he has no prince of his blood to be king after him. He has no heir because his only son was stolen from him many years ago. And no one in Narnia knows where that prince went or whether he will still be alive. But he is. I lay on you this command that you seek this lost prince until either you have found him and brought him to his father's house or else died in the attempt or else gone back into your own world. 
How pleased, said Jill. I will tell you, child, said the lion. These are the signs by which I will guide you in your quest. First, as soon as the boy Eustace sets foot in Narnia, he will meet an old and dear friend. He must greet that friend at once. That friend turns out to be Prince Caspian from the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, who's got a lot older. But Eustace doesn't realize that, and they miss the first sign. Uh, He'll meet an old friend. Greet him at once. If he does, you will both have good help. They don't end up with good help. Second, you must journey out of Narnia to the north until you come to the ruined city of the ancient giants. Third, you shall find a writing on a stone in that ruined city, and you must do what that writing tells you. Fourth, you will know the lost prince, if you find him, by this, that he will be the first person you have met in your travels who will ask you to do something in my name, in the name of Aslan. It's interesting there, if you should have success. Aslan doesn't assume that they will necessarily be successful in their journey, in their discipleship, in their adventure. Yet we trust anyway. As the lion seemed to have finished, Jill thought she should say something. So she said, thank you very much, I see. Child said Aslan in a gentler voice than he had yet used. Perhaps you do not see quite as well as you think. Ah, There's a little whole sermon in that one as well. We won't do that today. Ah, yes, Jesus, I understand. I've got it sorted. I know what you've called me to do. I'll do that. Hmm. Perhaps, child, you do not understand as well as what you might think. If you've been following Christ for any length of time, I think that's fair to say. You get to a point where you go, maybe then I didn't understand as well as I might think. And then it does kind of make you wonder, wonder if I understand as well now as I might think and what lies ahead of me. Uh, But the first step is to remember. Repeat to me in order the four signs. Jill tried and didn't quite get them right. So the lion corrected her and made her repeat them again and again till she could say them perfectly. He was very patient over this, so that when it was done, Jill plucked up the courage to ask, Please, how am I to get to Narnia? On my breath, said the the lion, I will blow you into the west of the world as I blew Eustace. Until the very end of the story, this is pretty much all we... All we have of Aslan. There's a couple of little appearances when they remember Aslan or they think of Aslan. But, but, but more or less we don't have Aslan turning up in the silver chair like we do in, in some of the other stories. Uh, hence discipleship in the mists of confusion where the voice of Aslan feels like something from the past rather than something from the present. And we all have seasons, moments in our life when the voice of God or the voice of the Spirit or the voice of Christ feels like something from the past as opposed to something in the presence. In the present. God has spoken, God's called, God's guided. There were signs and I knew and off I went. And then a few years later, it's like like Linda was saying last year, a deathly science, a deadly science, a total silence. The, the, it feels like the heavens are shut. God, where are you? Why are you not talking? Yet there's this call to remain faithful to the signs that we have. They keep forgetting the signs, though. Of course, this is true of any journey. There's signs, there's signposts along the way, guides, direction, clues, etc., that we must follow. Uh, Lisa and I do trail running every now and then, and there's always a marker on a tree. And you just make sure that, like, if you haven't seen a marker on a tree for, like, 40 or 50 metres... Yeah, maybe you need to just pay attention and back up a little bit because uh, you, you got you, you stick with the signs. You'll get you'll get where you need to go. Uh, amazing how we can all drive from um, town to town around New Zealand. Uh, even long before you would have driven to Auckland, long before you had GPS to tell you when to turn left or right. There's just like three or four signs along the way. That's all you need. Like turn left here, boom. Oh, I'm in Fongamata. 
yeah, you turn right, mate. You should have turned left. There's just the sign there. Just follow what the sign says and you'll end up in Auckland. It's not too difficult. If we follow the signs, we, we, we go comfortable in the journey. We tune out from the signs. We let go of the signs. We forget the signs and we get into trouble. Uh, falling in love. There's signs. <laughs> there's signs if you're falling in love. There's eyes linking and lock, locking across the room. There's, there's little signs. If you pay attention to those, the journey will go well. If you're blind to them and don't, can't figure out what's happening, then you'll hit a brick wall and it won't go well for you. Many of you would know that. In ancient Israel, people of faith, people of faith who found themselves in the mists of confusion, the oppression, the domination of the Roman Empire, are looking for signs. Signs of the coming Messiah. Let's pick up on a few of those signs in the story. In the Christmas story. Matthew 1. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And uh, later in that same verse in Matthew. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. God with us. The virgin birth was one of the signs, one of the things that Israel was looking to pay attention to and to heed. Micah chapter 5. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judea, and out of you will come uh, for me one who will rule over Israel, whose origins, if you had Liam Neeson's voice, that would work, whose origins are from all, from ancient times. You know, this, this is this prophecy in Micah. Out of Bethlehem who will come one who will rule over Israel, who comes from ancient times. Uh, Therefore Israel will be abandoned until that time when she who is in labor bears a son. And the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. This is sign of a virgin birth. There's the sign that the king will come from Bethlehem and be of ancient times. Luke chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields. You're, I can never read this voice going, uh, this passage without going. There were shepherds living out in the fields by night. It's like, oh no, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Or seated on the ground. You know, or seated not on the ground is not in the Bible, but you always want to read that. Keeping watch over their flocks at night. Or seated on the ground. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and glory shone around And then they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, the town of Bethlehem, Savior will be born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Uh, A new king in ancient Israel would not be presented in a manger. A manger is a feeding trough. Concrete kind of dug out feeding trough that cattle would eat out of. Uh, a, a new king would be presented to the people in a royal crib, in a golden crib would be stood out on the balcony of Caesar's palace and presented to humanity. This is the new king. So to have a new king lying in a manger is a little bit like, I don't think that's a new king. But in the big story, in the economy of God, this is a new king. This is one of the signs. Wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of a heavenly host appeared with an angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left him and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. 
So again, there's this king born in Bethlehem. We've got a virgin birth. We've got Bethlehem. We've got a baby lying in a manger. These are these signs. There's a, there's a fourth sign. I see him. Uh, Numbers 24. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the, this is awesome. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of the people of Sheth. Oh, praise the Lord. That's Jesus come to crush some skulls. Uh, they're talking about the embodiment of evil. We would say the embodiment of sin and death. And this ancient perspective is that the Messiah is going to come and crush skulls and sort some things out. We go, yeah, the Messiah came and defeated sin and death, but not by the crushing of skulls, but the laying down of his life. Isaiah 60 verse 3. Nations will come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your dawn. Nations, we see this represented in these magi, these wise men. We don't know if there was three, but it works for the song. Come and they present these gifts, representatives of the world. Matthew 2, and Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. An old guy, uh, what were the other signs in the silver chair? An old guy, a, a dear friend, a giant city writing in stone, somebody that would ask in the name of Aslan. The story of Jesus, we have a virgin birth, we have Bethlehem, we have wrapped in swaddling cloth and lain in a manger, we have the star as a sign. People, have found, people of faith have always found themselves in the midst of confusion, needing to pay attention to the signs, to the words God has spoken, to the promises that the Holy Spirit has given. But this isn't always easy. Wasn't easy for Eustace and for Jill and the silver chair. Wasn't easy for Israel to keep track for 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's about 400 years worth of history where they're longing and they're looking and they're holding on. That's why we, we hear stories of Simeon and Anna who were faith, had faithfully waited looking for the coming of Messiah. And it's not always easy for us in the mists of our own confusion. To hold on to the words God has spoken to us, to the signs that God has given us. It's not always easy. Cold, wind, cold, wet, damp, gloomy, tired, hungry, which may be you, but is Eustace and Jill in the story. They encounter a mysterious lady dressed in green. She turns out to be the Wicked Witch, uh, but they don't know that. I knew that. You know that because when you read the story, you can tell. But you know, there's these kids. Tired and lacking the strength of conviction that they are heading in the right direction. The sojourners listen as she tells of friendly giants. She talks about the giants of Harfang. Whatever the lady had intended by telling them about Harfang, this is this castle where giants live, the actual effect on the children was a bad one. They could think about nothing but beds and baths and hot meals and how lovely it would be to get indoors. They never talked about Aslan or even about the lost prince now. And Jill gave up her habit of repeating the signs over to herself every night and morning. She said to herself at first that she was too tired, but soon she forgot all about it. And though we might have expected that the idea of having a good time in halfing would have made them more cheerful, it really made them more sorry for themselves and more grumpy and snappy with each other and with Puddlegum. Isn't that... So easily us, as we wander in the mists of confusion at time. And I think it's a timely, the silver chair just works for 
Advent 2021, like it wouldn't have worked in Advent 2019. Isn't that us at times? In a season of a pandemic, the years of a pandemic, they certainly don't feel like jovial Jupiter overcoming and bringing the right reign of God into the world. I don't feel like that at the moment. Uh, it doesn't feel like the illumination of the sun, which speaks of truth and, and, and insight. It doesn't really feel like that at the moment. It feels more like the moon. Ambiguity in the light of the moon that's elusive and inconsistent and untrustworthy. It feels gloomy. There's an inconsistency to the size and the shape and the color. Damp and dulled and deadened. We're wandering in the mists of confusion. I certainly feel like that this Advent. I feel like we're in the mists of confusion. All we can think about is beds and baths and hot meals and travel and haircuts and takeaways. Isn't that so easily us? Isn't that so easily that we, we've, you know, we give up repeating this? She gave up repeating the signs of Aslan to herself. Uh, first, because she felt like she was too tired, then she just <laughs> forgot altogether. And we look for. Whatever it is that takes our fancy or is a distraction or whatever it might be. I think as we count down to Christmas, as we journey through Advent, my challenge for you up on the, the next slide this, this year. For all of us, I feel this for me. What are the signs you need to remind yourself of? What's the mission you need to remind yourself of? Eustace and Jill forgot that they were there to find a prince and return the prince to the king. What's the mission of God in your life that you need to remind yourself of? What's the devotion God is calling you to afresh in this season? This is the first day of the new year in the Christian calendar. This is the day for a fresh commitment to faithfulness and fidelity, to to follow Christ steadfastly. What's the devotion God is calling you to afresh in this season? What are the words that you need to remember? I can't give you those words. We've got meeting an old guy. We've got the castles. We've got writing in stone. We've got somebody that's going to ask something of Aslan. We've got Bethlehem and we've got swaddling cloth and we've got a virgin birth and we've got a star in the sky. For you, we've got... I don't know. I don't know what the signs are. I don't know what the words are. I don't know what the call is. I don't know what it is that you need to remember from your journey. Your adventure of following Christ that you need to be reminded of this morning. That you need to have quickened to you. That you need to pay attention to once again. We need some wisdom here. But at the same time we need not be over cautious either. You've been following Christ a little bit. You're not going to get yourself into trouble. I was driving the other day, praying about some church stuff, trying to figure some stuff out. We drove past this chair, that, the silver chair there. And Anna Marie said, you need that chair, Dad. She just said, I need that chair because um, she just liked the look of the chair, not because she... And I'm like, I kind of do. I said, no, nah, I don't. But I was kind of thinking, I do need a silver chair for Narnia. This is like eight days ago. And I've got these wooden chairs at home that I was going to wrap one of them in tin for. So I'm driving along. It's like, she says, you need this silver, that, that chair. She didn't say silver chair. You need that chair. Uh, it was pink with pink stuff on it because it was used for its, the little mermaid play. And I was like, ah. Oh. And then I drove past and it was on the front of the road. Now it's back by the garage. And I pulled over. I said, oh, are you selling that chair? She said, oh, no, I'm just trying to give it away. I said, oh, I, I kind of need a chair like that. 
She goes, well, somebody said that they're going to pick it up on Tuesday, but you're here today on Friday, so I'd rather give it to you on Friday than the maybe on Tuesday. She goes, what are you going to do with it? I said, well, I pastor a church, and we're in Advent, and it's going to be Narnia, and it's the silver chair, so I'm going to paint it silver. Ooh, she says, that sounds exciting. What are you going to do afterwards? I said, yeah, I don't know after that. Put it in storage somewhere. She goes, yeah, you can have it kind of thing. And uh, it fitted in the back of my truck, just like there was like half a centimeter either side, slid in. It cost me $22 to buy spray paint and spray it silver. It's a little bit better than a chair wrapped in tinfoil. <laughs> now, you don't necessarily want to read too much into that. But Lisa goes, oh, someone's looking after you. And I go, oh, I don't know, but I've got to take it. I've got to take it. Yeah, someone's looking after me. How good is that? I've got a silver chair. Gift I wanted to buy somebody. I went to get it, looked it up online. It was on special, 25% off, I think. Oh, surely that's a sign. That must be a sign. So I brought the gift and got it for them. Devotional, I was reading the other day, it had Proverbs 4, verse 18 in it. Proverbs 4, 18 has been my proverb for like 20-something years. The path of the just is like the shining sun that grows ever brighter into the glorious day. It's like, hey, I haven't read that for a year. Where's that been? I needed that. Going for a, a run, two doves land in front of me. Other times seagulls bomb me, but two doves... Ah, there's a couple of doves. I'll take that kind of thing. Now, hey, who knows? You don't want to, you need some wisdom, but you don't want to be overcautious at the same time. You need some wisdom because otherwise we turn things into the Women's Day horoscope kind of thing. You're going to meet somebody you've not seen in years. It's like, you do know that you bump into somebody that you haven't seen in years pretty much every other week. And if you happen to have read that in the Women's Weekly horoscope, like on the Monday, when that happens on Thursday, we're like, get out of here! Australian Women's Weekly's got to happen. It's like, no, you, you meet people you haven't met all the time. It's just you're particularly paying attention to it. You're going to have a feeling that's of a thought that is about a feeling of a thought that you once had that felt like a feeling and a thought. That happened to me on Tuesday. I had a feeling about a thought that was a feeling. So you don't want to, you don't want to like be silly about it. You want a bit of wisdom. But we don't need to be too overly cautious. Oh, there was just a chair. They'd sold a house. They had a prop. You can't really say that that was God. I can't really say that it was God, but you can't really say that it wasn't. So I'm just going to be open to the wonder and the mystery that exists beyond the obvious. That God has spoken, and if I pay attention to that, that'll do me well in life. It's not just signs, though, that happen here and there and everywhere. It's this call to remember the, the promises that God's already spoken into your life. I remember, I, I know, God's, been, God's spoken to me. He'll be faithful and just to complete the good work that he's begun in you. These, these, now, these are all just kind of different ideas in the Bible, but different ones stand out to you at different times, and you realize, oh, that's God speaking to me in this moment. I'll, I'll hold on to that. This idea that the water will be turned to wine, that somehow you do what is very ordinary, you buy tins of spray paint and spray a chair you found on the side of the road. But somehow you can put all that together and God can turn the water into wine and it can somehow be a blessing to people's lives. I remember when we planted a church, somebody said to me, um, grow grass and sheep will come. Now sheep is not a derogatory term. It's just we happen to live in the 21st century. Sheep is a biblical term for being a disciple and a follower of Christ. Grow grass and sheep will come. As opposed to find the latest techniques and strategies for growing a church. It's like, yeah, of course, that's, that's all we want to do. We just want to grow grass. Let, let's try to, as a church community, be something that feeds people. 
And we'll trust that if it feeds people, people will come. I remember God speaking to me about that. Remember God reminding me, look after my house, I'll look after your house. I, was at a con- I don't do conferences anymore unless I have to. One a year I have to and speak at it. But other ones, like I don't voluntarily go to conferences anymore. Conference now. But I remember at a conference, God saying, you look after my house, I'll look after your house. 20 something, 25 years ago. 23 years ago. I've got to remember that. I think these are things God's spoken to me about. But in the mists of confusion, it's easy to forget. Grow grass, feed sheep will come. It's easy to forget, I'll be faithful to complete the good work. It's easy to forget, look after my house, I'll look after your house. It's, it's easy to forget these things, these moments, these situations where you felt like God spoke something specific into your heart. You need to run with it. Uh, the good news of the gospel is always better than you've just realized. I remember awakening to that. Now we have it written on the... Like, hold on to that. Remember that. Stay true to that. What do, what do people need? The people need the good news of the gospel that's always better than they've just realized. Not techniques, not self-help, not whatever kind of thing. Those are some of my little moments, but you've got to think of what are your little moments. Maybe just go backwards one slide later. Oh no, that's right, we're on the right one. What are the signs you need to remind yourself of? I don't know what the verses are that have stood out to you. I don't know what the, the things you feel like God's spoken to you about. But it's probably a season for you to remind yourself of those things. What's the mission you need to remind yourself of? What are you doing with your life? I guarantee there was a moment, probably when you were younger, where you felt like God was calling you to do this with your life. And then in the complexities of life, it's not that that doesn't mean vocational change or seasons will change. But what, what was at the heart of that mission? That you felt like God was, not necessarily the expression of it, but, or, the, or the way that it was being outworked, but the heart of it. Oh, and it could simply have been to love people and point them towards Christ. And that might have used to look like this, but then it looked like this, and now it might look like this if you could just remember that. What's the devotion God's calling you to afresh in this season? What are the words that you need to remember? Advent asks us to look beyond the obvious, to hold on to God's promises, to live faithfully in the mists of confusion, and to do so knowing that hope will not disappoint. There's a proverb that says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Advent, we remember that, but but our hope in Christ does not disappoint. The world's pregnant with the newness of God, and in due season it will come forth. Psalm 27, again. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. In Jesus' name. This isn't something that we declare or hold on to. Not something I'm holding on to like a televangelist or a prosperity preacher. I'm not, I'm not trying to suggest it like that. You'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I trust you. You'll be a multi-billionaire by the end of your life. It's, I don't mean it like that. I mean it like Simeon, who, who was old and frail even, and yet still saw the salvation of God for Israel in this, in this child. So I don't mean it in the way that we can easily then twist it to be what we want it to mean. But that the promises of God, the faithfulness of God, the steadfast devotion of God, the comfort of God, the presence of God, the, the peace of God. You'll, you'll see that. You'll know that. You'll experience that in 
the land of the living. Simeon who says, My eyes have seen your salvation which you had prepared in the sight of all the nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. In Jesus' name. All right, let's stand. We'll close in prayer this morning. This is the first Sunday of Advent. The theme is hope. But the Suwachi is kind of, we're reflecting on hope in the mists of confusion. And my encouragement is to hold on to the signs, the words, the promises, the scripture, the, the whispers that God has spoken into your world. You let go of the signs, you forget the signs, you wander distractedly. It leads into all sorts of trouble. You just walk in step with those signs and our great hope and trust is that Christ will come along. As you go this morning, may your eyes be open to see beyond the obvious. May you go with a fresh awareness of the depth, the wonder, the love, the mystery of God at work in your life and in the world. May you be brave enough to start reading fairy tales again and wise enough to see that they are anything but make-believe. There is magic beyond the facts. Know that Christ is the light of the world and the lamp is but a reminder. In the mists of confusion, remember the promises of God. Look for signposts and encouragement, even in unusual places. And know that you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And may you know in this season the love of God, the life of Christ, and the peace of the Holy Spirit is your own. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.